Now, therefore, be it resolved that the USNSCC recognizes the commemoration of that day, August 26th in 1920, on which the women of America won their right to vote as an opportunity to continue to work for equal rights for all citizens. I want to thank everyone out there for joining us at the Crow's Nest, on the Crow's Nest, in the Crow's Nest, whichever article works for you in any event. Um, this is the third in our series in commemoration, celebration, and honor of Women's Equality Day, which is the centennial of the official certification of uh, the 19th Amendment, uh, giving women the right to vote. And so with that, we already had two great conversations uh, with um, uh, folks, with women with long experience um, in the Navy. A lot of great experiences to share for our young cadets out there, and it's really great to give them an opportunity to uh, share out their experiences, have the cadets interacting um, with people who have a lot of experience, a lot of background uh, in the Navy, and a lot of wisdom to share. And so with that, we have another great interview. Uh, I want to introduce uh, retired Rear Admiral Annie Andrews. And so, again, I will also include uh, her bio in the notes as well in the show notes. Uh, uh, Annie Andrews works uh, with the FAA now, the Federal Aviation Administration, but I want to hone in on a specific part of her bio here. Uh, retired Rear Admiral Miss Andrews is the third African-American female to achieve this rank in the United States Navy. Her distinguished naval career is highlighted with previous roles, including, this is where we get to the really important stuff, a commanding officer of Boston Military Entrance Processing Station, Navy Recruiting District San Francisco, and Recruit Training Command Great Lakes. You're going to hear a lot about that place. Chief of the Requirements Branch and Joint Manpower Planner for the Washington, D.C. Joint Chiefs of Staff, Executive Assistant and Naval Aide to the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, and Senior Fellow on the Chief of Naval Operations Strategic Studies Group at the Naval War College. So her 32-year 32 year naval service culminated as the Commander Navy Recruiting Command. So as a Navy's top recruiter and principal advisor to the Chief of Naval Personnel on recruitment strategy and objectives, she led recruitment efforts for officer and enlisted programs in both the active duty and reserve components. So she'll have your answers uh, people out there, definitely. And so it'll be uh, great to hear from her and learn from her in that regard. Uh, we are going to have um, one of our leadership cadets interviewing, and that's going to be Chief Maya Weir, has dedicated herself to the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps for six years. Uh, she is a member of the Band of the West Division. It's kind of a cool name. Uh, the only sea cadet band in the nation, so Band of the West, okay, and serves as their one and only piccolo player. Uh, her most recent awards include graduating as a Senior Leadership Academy Honor Cadet and receiving a citation ribbon for outstanding performance as an RTC Battalion Commander. So, without further ado, I am going to step aside and let's hear the interview. Admiral, I want to just start off first by thanking you for your service, um, what you've done for your country, the dedication um, in your uh, time in the Navy is uh, above and beyond. And so just wanted to thank you before uh, we got into all of this. Um, well, Mara, thank you so much. It's certainly a pleasure 
uh, what I'm so proud about is that we have the next generation that may be thinking about doing the similar things mm -hmm. and keeping it going and passing on as much knowledge as possible is really great. So thank you also for this opportunity to join you today. All right. Um, so I can just start asking questions. Is that? Go for it. All right. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, what are the best opportunities for women in the Navy? Thank you so much for that question. I would say if it was about 30 years ago when I joined, not that so many opportunities that were open to women. I say today there are many more opportunities to join and be in any part of the technical or operations or administrative type jobs. So whether it's surface warfare or aviation, there's women on subs where it wasn't about 30 years ago when I came in. So there are many opportunities in submarines, aviation, surface warfare, um, all the technical fields are open to women. So I think whatever you want to do and set your mind to, you can do it. That's an outstanding sentiment. Um, I highly, I agree. Um, I have noticed more and more um, how women have been able to um, enjoy the same fields and professions as um, men only used to um, just decades before. Um, in the context of an election soon approaching and the mark of 100 years of women's suffrage, why in your opinion is the right to vote so important to this country? I believe the right to vote is so important because it is certainly our right. It is just more than a privilege, it's a right for every individual. And I think women more than anything, just think about it. Over, you know, we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of women winning the right to vote. Just think how it was for those women in the past that were also strong leaders, but did not have a voice. So I think um, if we can just do this as a remembrance to them, for those women that have gone on before us to set the pace, to set the standards, and to get the right to be able to talk, to make change. And as you know, um, with women, whether in the workforce, whether in the military in uniform or civilians, everyone have a right to vote and they should use that to make a change and difference. Absolutely. Um, now, um, you are the third African-American Rear Admiral to ever serve in the Navy. Um, how is that important to you? Uh, how is it important um, for a woman to make it to these very high ranks in the Navy and in the armed forces in general? Well, thank you so much. It was certainly a privilege and honor that was nothing when I first came in that I was trying to attest to or to, to reach to. It's just that it was the opportunity of getting an assignment, regardless where they put you, whether it was in Iceland or the Philippines or in Boston or anywhere across the United States or the country. Wherever they send you, do your best. And whatever job they give you, do your best at it. So all I wanted to do was just to prove that I can be a part of something that's much bigger than myself, which certainly was the United States Navy coming from a very small, you know, town in Georgia. 
um, I was always about a life of service. And as I rose to the rank, I was thinking on how I could help the next person. Um, I saw I didn't have that many mentors or female mentors as I was coming up as a instant lieutenant, lieutenant JG. And even as a African-American female, I didn't see many people that looked like me in uniform that were officers. So I always wanted to strive to be the best for um, those that were entrusted to my leadership that were enlisted or even as I grew in rank to my junior officers and just to do the best. So when that opportunity came, and again, it wasn't nothing that I was striving for except to do what I needed to do, my job, do what you need, uh, do what is asked of you, do it with the best ability you can, whether it's to when I was in Iceland to plant trees out in that cold place or to do some of the uh, jobs that you thought was remedial tasks, but they weren't. It helped me to grow and to be humbled at whatever I did and whatever I could become. So as I became in rank and was promoted to admiral, it was, it was amazing. And I never really realized how many people I touched until all the notes that I got in from my colleagues or you know fellow naval officers or junior people or senior people that wow now it's my turn to step up I have the opportunity and how can I make it a better Navy for all for everyone especially women but also for um, those that are entrusted to us because you have both male and women that work for you so I just wanted to be the best and I was just really happy with that opportunity and just wanted to serve my country in whatever capacity. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned that uh, you had very uh, few female mentors as a younger officer in the Navy. Um, of the many inspiring women figures we have to admire, who inspired you while you served in the Navy? Well, thank you. Well, actually, I have two in particular. Um, one was certainly Admiral Michelle Howard who you may or may not know or probably should know in our history, was our first four-star female admiral that served in the Navy. And for that case, with the sea services, so Marine, Coast Guard, and Navy, she was the first um, four-star. And just to let you know, and I'm sure someday if you talk to her, you'll hear this story, because they had not made, like your shoulder boards, they had not made any ever four-star female <laughs> Admiral shoulder boards to wear. So they had to get a special one made for her because again, her shoulders is not as broad as the men's shoulders or, you know, as us ladies and, and women officers are. Right. So that's pretty neat. So I um, remembered when I first made Admiral and knowing that she was then the second um, African-American female to make Admiral, I had an opportunity to go and meet with her and she certainly helped me to maneuver and to, you know, just to continue to be the inspirational person that she was. So as far as in the military, female, there were many. I mean, I could name them all day, but I think Admiral Howard inspired me as a naval officer to someone that you can inspire to of all the great things she's done and continue to do being a person at all. And I would also like to say for the civilian part, Someone that inspired me that I never met was Eleanor Roosevelt. 
She, of course, was the um, wife and the first lady of President Franklin Roosevelt. And what I admired about her when reading her stories is that she was a champion for human rights. She was all about humanitarian achievements, equal rights for women, rights for African-American women, um, those that were going through the Depression era at the time. And she also served as a United Nations delegate. And she was one of those women you know, of the past, like many others, that stepped up and stepped right out to do things. This is a great subject, and I thank you for the question, because I have just two more I'd like to tell you about when you talk Absolutely. about fire you. Another would be, and of course, even first, is my mother. She retired and captain in the um, law enforcement, and I saw her strength, and I saw her ability to work and deal with people, and she worked in the, um, in the you know, I said law enforcement, so I saw how, regardless of how people are, she treated them like human beings, not just because they did something bad. Although, again, you know my mother, she certainly got on their case about things, but she still was respectful to people. And one other last one that I had the privilege of always being around is my great-grandmother who lived to be 105 years old. So what I'll tell you really quickly is that going into the Navy was easy for me. Growing up in a household full of women, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, I went through the chain of command as a child. So it was easier going in the military and taking all those, um, you know, orders from people or having the gunny to make sure you run around because my great-grandmother uh, was certainly a very wonderful lady, um, always giving, caring, and I would only hope to aspire to what I have seen, these women, all of them that I've named, that have set great examples for me. Thank you for that question. Absolutely. Um, those are some really outstanding figures, I believe, that more um, women should know about um, as they arise to more powerful positions in life. Um, now, um, I want to switch off into uh, more of like the challenges you might have faced um, such as what challenges uh, did you face as a woman rising through the Navy ranks? Well, thank you. You know, sometime as you rise through the rank, you have the opportunity to, I would say, when you have an opportunity to be heard, you know, be heard, be seen, do what you need to do, and then be done. So I think probably early on in my career, I was probably, and probably still in so many ways, a pretty shy person. So I, you know, know that there's a lot of people that will say they're wallflowers that are out there. And sometimes, you know, you can have an idea about something and you talk about it maybe to your commanding officer and say, hey, this I think is a great idea. And then guess what? That same lieutenant, lieutenant JG, lieutenant commander have the same idea that you are. The only difference is that he is a male and I'm a female and seemed like sometime that got listened to more, but it was the same idea. So I would say that every opportunity, I would say still women going forward to speak up, to say what you need to and to let it be known. And if you come up with the idea, you know, because at one time it was like, okay, they come up with the idea just as long as it gets done and get done with the mission. But it's okay to stand up and take credit for those things. 
because especially if you're doing this for the right reason, and the right reason is always with me, is people first and mission always, and having that mission. So I would say, you know, still with the opportunity that sometime, um, again, not having a lot of female um, leadership or most of the, my commanding, well, all the commanding officers in my first part of the junior year were all male. And I would say if you go in and say that you work hard and you're dedicated, that um, little did I know, they probably were mentoring me. And I just didn't realize it like we know today. But today we do it better by networking and mentoring with people. So I would say again, making sure that you're heard and you get the credit for it for the right reason. Absolutely, thank you so much. Um, I wanna uh, dive into a bit about the Sea Cadets as well. Um, in the Sea Cadets, there are only 60 female uh, Chief Petty Officers in the whole nation, um, and I being one of them. Um, how can we inspire a young woman to join more male-dominated activities and professions? A couple of things I would think of right off the bat. One is that having, for first of all, let me say congratulations to you being just that very few of that 60 in the Sea Cadets. Um, and as you know, whether in the military or now in the civilian life, sometimes you still are a minority as women in the workforce. But I think with the many females that we've had in the past of all services, that being out there for our cadets to read about their history, talk to them like they're talking to me now about their struggles, talk to them about getting them to have a mentor, seeking out people that can help you get to the next step, that have had the experience, so I think I would hope to see cadets will know that there are many people have done very well in the military and have been uh, trailblazers in all different types of field. Like Admiral Howard that I mentioned before, that actually, you know, uh, one of the first to command a warship. Like so many that are out there being a first is not as necessary being a first as it is just getting it done and working closely beside your male partners. But the other thing is that our male counterparts have to understand that we also demand a seat at the table and we are to be there and women are a force to be reckoned with if we do it the right way. I want to make sure that we as women see our male partners as a team and everybody need to be a part of it to win wars and to think strategically and to make it done for America overall. Absolutely, that's a great sentiment. Um, let's see, um, if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, what advice would you give her? Speak to my younger self. Well, I mentioned to you that I was probably, and still in so many ways, um, shy. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I could think about while they're saying, hey, what should we do? Or how should we make a difference? Or what can we do? And sometimes I believe that I sat quiet. And when I knew what I really wanted to say, and just because sometimes you felt or made to feel uncomfortable that, hey, what, do you really have anything to say? 
And I would say to my younger self, speak up and get a seat at the table. If you offer to come to the table, speak. And I will still say that from my younger days and I still say that today because I knew that there were opportunities perhaps in my life that um, as a younger officer, I'm thinking that, ah, oh, maybe I'll let somebody else say it or I'll wait. When I knew the response, I knew the answer and I knew what to do because that's what it takes to make leaders. So speak up and have a seat at the table. When you're offered, have a seat. And when you have a seat, have something to say, not just to make a conversation, a talk, but know that you have a great impact on many. Absolutely. Um, I, I, uh, I understand that as well. I grew up shy, so um, I would probably tell that to my slightly younger self as well. Um, now, when you joined uh, the NROTC program in your college, um, it was a time in which it was um, definitely more difficult than it is now for women to join the military. Um, so what inspired you to uh, join that program and then eventually become a commissioned officer? Thank you. Um, I attended Savannah State University, but I didn't start off as in my freshman year. Um, when I mentioned about my mom being in law enforcement, well, I worked law enforcement as a reserve deputy sheriff in a small town in Georgia as well. And I noted that when you're around family, they are very overprotective. And when I would go out with, you know, my male counterparts, who all were more senior to me as I was a, a young um, reserve deputy sheriff, they would always be so overprotective because apparently it was my mother that was telling them, you better take care of your daughter. So I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to leave this community and I'm going to have to grow and be on my own um, as I develop. So while at Savannah State one day, I saw some students. And at that time, so you'll see how old this is, we were wearing the salt and pepper, you know, white yeah. shirt and black pants and um, heaven help if you ever find any of those photos. <laughs> but yeah, we were in this, you know, we're in the salt and pepper. And I noticed while sitting in class, those that were in the NROTC program, on those days that they had their uniform on, they were just as regimented and disciplined. And I'm thinking, wow, that was impressive. Now, I can't say the rest of the week. That was on Thursdays. I can't tell you Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, how those days were in class. But on those Thursdays, those students that were in those uniforms were, were sharp. They were very, very alert. And like I said, I grew up in a family where it was very strict in so many ways. So I said, wow, this is easy for me. So I decided, and I didn't join until just between my junior and senior year. So I had to go to a couple of places like um, NSI, Naval Science Institute up in Newport, Rhode Island, which actually squeezed, let's say, two years into six weeks. And then I came back to Savannah State and did all the things I needed to for navigation classes. So while doing that, um, there were a couple of other females that were also in the unit, but it was predominantly male in the unit. So we had Marine Corps, Navy, and of course, uh, they also had an Army ROTC but I knew already I desired the sea services and definitely the Navy. So I thought at that time, it was just a great opportunity to be uh, right out of college, to know that you're gonna have a full paying job, you know you're gonna have um, 
room and board and to have the opportunity to lead. So I can't say enough about that great opportunity. So being able to see people in those uniforms, but to see what it does to you when you are representing a, not only a small local city or state, but you're representing a country, the United States, which is the greatest. So it was a great feeling to be a part of that. And once I got commissioned, um, I never knew how long I would actually stay in. But 32 years later, it was really, I, I was just really um, impressed, motivated, inspired by so many people that I got to know and that got to work for me and that I worked for. Um, so you um, continued to um, serve your country even after your retirement from the Navy um, in the FAA. Um, what, what kept you going after retiring from the Navy? You were a rear admiral um, and you could have probably retired right after that, but um, you continue to serve your country, and why is that? Thank you. I really appreciate that question, because I get asked that many times due to the fact it's like, oh, you've served 32 years. Hey, it's time to go home, you know, do those type of things. Well, I'll tell you, um, I retired on October 1st, 2015, and I started with the FAA on 1 November 2015 just about 30 days later. And I really <laughs> didn't take a whole lot of leave except for moving out of my last command and coming back to the Washington DC area. Why I choose to serve, because I will say, even when I retired, my last job in the Navy was as um, the commander of Navy Recruiting Command. And at that recruiting command, I had the opportunity to work with the best men and women in the United States Navy. But I also had a chance to travel America across the United States and overseas to visit not only my sailors, but also to see America and our young people at its best. People just like you, Chief. People that inspire and want to become a part of something and to grow and to learn and to develop. So once getting out of the Navy, I didn't feel I was done yet. I still had what I would call fire in the belly. What can I do next? So as jobs and opportunity came, because people say, you know, take four to six months off, figure out what you want to do. But I wasn't ready to rest yet. And still today, still not ready <laughs> to rest, even after almost five years now with the FAA. And that's because it's the people that kept me going, not only in the military, but it's the people now, even at the FAA, that their mission, and to make sure that they have the safest naval um, air traffic system in the world. The naval, the national airspace is important for us to make sure that it keeps safety because transportation in the world is just important. So that's why I continue to serve because one, I enjoy it. I enjoy working with people. Some of the things I do now is still similar to what I did in the Navy as working on um, personnel issues, working training and development, working education, uh, making sure that we're taking care of the most important asset in the world, and that's people. That's why I continue to serve.
Oh, there's a great saying that goes, um, you never work a day in your life if you enjoy your work. So <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's uh, incredible to hear that you find um, so much joy in um, your service. Um, I want to, I'm curious about this one. Um, why, in your opinion, is the history of women's suffrage so important to American history and how might it still affect us today? I think it's effective still today because sometimes people don't think that they have a voice. And because over a hundred years ago, women fought hard to make sure that we have the right to vote. And I still think women today need to know because a lot of them are out there on the, in the workforce. They're doing so many things. A lot of them are home. Every last woman that is, can get registered that's a citizen, you have a right. And when you start thinking about that, a lot of things can be taken away from you. You know, your privileges, uh, but if you stay in the standard of what you need and should, you have that right. And women today need to know that if they put their voices together, if they put that collective power together, they can make a difference today. And they have, like the women of over a hundred years ago. We need to do this and to keep it going because it's not just for what they did yesterday is, is where you and I sit today, but what we need to do today is to take care for those that will come after us. And that's why it's important for them to continue the fight for um, equal pay, for the right to be a part of something bigger, to work as a team effort and to make a difference for this country. And I believe that women can do this working alongside our male counterpart. Equal pay, equal opportunities are always important. Absolutely. Um, and going back also into history, um, what was the most prominent challenge that your generation of women faced? I believe in the beginning when I first came in, just having the opportunities that our counterparts, our male have. You know, some of, many things were not open to women. Uh, there were certain jobs. I came in what they called it as a fleet support, which was now we call human resources and it, it does work. Um, so, you know, we now know what things we couldn't do because of our gender, but we can do just as much if we put our minds to it and if our body is physically fit to handle those things. And as you can see across the services that women are breaking barriers in many things, rather rangers, rather jumping out of planes, rather parachuting, you can do it all. So it's not just only about what was many years ago where there were only traditional jobs. Now you could do things that are not just traditional, but things that really that you have this passion about and what you focus on and where it would lead you to a wonderful and exciting career in whatever you do. Absolutely. And um, in your 32 years of service, um, or Admiral, did you notice a change, um, a positive change to women's opportunities as you served? I definitely did. Slow coming, but 
if you stick with something, change will eventually happen. So I saw the growth in a lot of young women. I saw the opportunities where those that may have come in enlisted now through mentorship knew that they could go into a officer program, um, that they can be leaders, that they can come and go from the enlisted room to, the, to be a chief petty officer, to being even an LDO or you know, working in other areas. So they are commanding ships where that wasn't at one time. They're flying, they're leading squadrons, they're in taking place in the wars and winning wars as a team. And women leaders are out there where I think it's important that our um, sea cadets take on that and what it is, is just passing the baton in so many ways, or passing the torch. Carry on what women have done and for us to have the right to do for those many years in different areas, to carry it on for our future and the next generation so that they can become and they can lead and do great things. Absolutely. Um, and We've been talking a lot about um, what you would want to say to young women coming up, but um, what about our male counterparts? What would you say to them about women's rights um, so that they have the perspective of um, what women have to fight for to get to the same privileges? That's an excellent question. And sometimes it's almost about educating our males to educate them on what it was like. Uh, and sometimes these things are not always in the history books. Sometimes it's not read about. Sometimes they don't realize. And they only know when, let's say, women are marching for certain things and it's like, oh yeah, okay, here they go again. But what is the reason? So I would say perhaps if there was more training and education to let them know this is someone like a Barbara Jordan or a Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, people that have been fighting for many things and are no longer here today, but because of it, we have seen changes. I would hope that I can sit right next to our male counterparts and we learn this together. The suffrage that women had, the difficulties of being always a second-class citizen, when they had no voice, when they were told not to be around, where you only listen and not be heard. Women have fought for this years ago, and I think going forward, um, our male counterpart need to understand that even more. Now, I will say, that's not in every case, because I have worked for some great male leaders, some great captains, some great admirals. And sometimes it's the next generation that's coming up. And it feels as though the more we get a little bit more mature, we think a little bit more, we read a little bit more, and all we want to do is treat people fairly across the board. And once we can do that and know that their voices could be heard and that we all have a great impact if we have these three things, and I'll share those with you. Whether male or female, if you have a purpose, if you have a passion, then I would say persevere. 
and then we will all be equal if we think of that as not just a gender thing, but what is the right thing to do so that we all can be successful. Yeah, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way to answer that. Um, let's see. Um, in your opinion, uh, what challenges do women still face today? And how might we use our historical knowledge to help overcome these challenges? Did I ask that? <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, no, with, with those, I, I think even today, you know, there's still some challenges that are out there in the, the workforce. Um, just having them be, have the opportunity to learn more about that through history lessons, through classes, so that they can understand what were some of those barriers that people face. People, whether it's women, whether it's people of color, whether it's people um, that speak a different language, we all have things that sometimes people may see as a barrier. And what we want to see people for who they are as an individual so that we can become successful. Absolutely. Um, and keeping on with that historical um, idea, um, what do you think the suffragettes of the early 20th century would think of women leading our military? They would all just stand up from where they are today um, and just be very proud. I think in so many ways, wherever they may be, their spirit are, are still with us and it's in the shape and form of women that are, are still carrying on and taking care of the struggle. I know they would be proud. They would say, wow. They would probably think we're even much more bolder than they were. But in so many ways, it's the same. It's just that we're fighting for the same things. Women want to fight for the same things. And that's whether it was in the days of old or today, just to be the stand up and be counted as an individual, as a human being, just to stand up and be counted. And they would be really, really proud. Absolutely. Uh, so this is of course for, um, this is for the US Naval Sea Cadets um, and this will be broadcasted to um, all who want to listen. Um, uh, alongside everything else you've said today, do you have anything else you would like to say to the um, young woman serving in the Sea Cadets? I would like to say that I am so very proud to know that you can be other places doing many other things and other different programs, but it was your choice to be a part of the U.S. Naval Sea Cadets. And by doing that, you set yourself apart from so many. I think that the leading leadership that you learn I think that by working as a group and starting, I almost wish, I definitely wish that I started as young as you all did in high school. So mine was not until college. So I believe in this program, you are far more advanced of whatever you want to do. Whether it's in joining the military, all I can say is that being a productive citizen outweighs everything. And with that opportunity, 
the Sea Cadet program give you that. You have some great leaders, some great motivators, and I alone am inspired and motivated just thinking what your career chief and many others can be and how America is so proud to have you be a part of its, of its history and its future. And you are the future. And I am just really um, amazed. I thank you for these wonderful questions that you've asked today. I do hope to have an opportunity to speak more with our sea cadets and wish them well. I do hope that they do seek out um, mentors and talk to people and um, alleviate any kind of concerns or fears that are out there. And I just wish everyone the very best. And I thank you again for this opportunity. And you have been just terrific. So that concludes the third in our mini-series on Women's Equality Day and celebrations. So I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. It's interesting because, actually, that last conversation, I felt like I was on NPR, uh, Fresh Air or something like that. So that was great to hear. In any event, um, you know, I uh, it's interesting that... Uh, Throughout the interviews, even though it was the same topic and similar questions, and so it was great, uh, you could hear different perspectives on the issue. And not necessarily they were different, disagreeable, or uh, contradictory. It's just there were slightly different variations on the same topic of women's equality and women's progress, and, and, and especially the work that still needs to be done. And I thought what was very interesting with the, this last conversation was uh, that there is a responsibility for us dudes, uh, men, to be a part of the conversation as well, to understand the perspectives of women, uh, the challenges that they're still going through. And it's incumbent upon us to sort of educate ourselves on these issues, not to help and support uh, marginalized groups. So I think uh, that was a fantastic contribution in the conversation. So with that, I hope you enjoyed uh, these three episodes of The Crow's Nest. I really want to thank all of our interviewers, all of our interviewees. And with that, uh, join us next time uh, for additional episodes. And uh, thank you very much again.